Welcome back to our series, uh, Looking Unto Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to continue talking about the sanctifying power of the gospel, how we're transformed by the gospel, and how the gospel provides us with the motivation we need to persevere, to go on with the Lord. Today we're going to be looking at two quotes from one of my favorite theologians, uh, one of the greatest theologians of all time, the Puritan John Owen. So I'm going to read a small introduction that I wrote, and then we'll get right into his quote. True knowledge of the gospel is not measured by the number of facts that we have accumulated about the gospel of Christ, but by our conformity to the Christ of the gospel. Like all true theology, true gospel study is a devotion, an act of worship resulting in transformation. John Owen wrote, Knowledge of political theory is not the same as statesmanship, nor does a keen study of Cicero's laws and Plato's Republic automatically produce good citizens. By the same reasoning, a Christian theologian is not a man with some superficial knowledge or slight grasp of a technical scheme of theology and its scientific terminology. If he bears no mark of a true disciple of Christ, then he is no theologian, but rather remains a miserable sinner, standing self-condemned. Such scholars were well described long since by Philosophus, in that he wrote, If what we teach is contradicted by our own behavior, then we are shown to have been speaking in an unnatural manner, merely making sounds like a flute player. He goes on to write, Let us boldly proclaim it, the man who is not inflamed with divine love is an outsider to all theology. Let him toil long and hard in the arming of thorny questions. Let him be the most avid devourer of theological books in existence. If he has this and nothing else, it is but the stronger proof that the natural beauty of God's truth has never penetrated through even the smallest chink into his mind. He is not on fire with love of divine truth, nor carried away with admiration of her beauty. John Owen's exaltation. John Owen's exhortation can be applied to all categories of theological thought, but how much more to the gospel, the Everest, the Acropolis of all theology. Let us study with earnest longing and many prayers to know Christ and be transformed by his gospel, and let us measure our knowledge of the gospel by the transformation it has brought about in our lives. Now, let's go back through this and just take a look at some of the things that, that Owen is seeking to communicate with us. First of all, my introduction. True knowledge of the gospel is not measured by the number of facts that we have accumulated about the gospel, but by our conformity to the Christ of the gospel. Now, I want to be careful here because sometimes we'll hear, we will hear people say it's not about theology, it's not about doctrine, it's not about just biblical facts, it's about life. Well, it is about life, but I want especially the young preacher to realize that apart from sound theology, apart from knowing facts about God, Christ, and the gospel, there is no life. Again, let me say something I have said many times in this series, that the Christian life 
is more than knowledge, but it's not less than knowledge. If we are to ever glory in the gospel, it is because we have grasped gospel truths through our study of the scriptures. Let's go on. Like all theology, true gospel study is a devotion, an act of worship, resulting in transformation. Um, as a minister of Christ, just think back with me for a moment. Um, in your years of study, preparing sermons, writing books, preparing for discipleship or Sunday school, how many times have you found yourself having to pull away from what you just learned to go to your knees in worship, in thanksgiving, in prayer? You know, I can remember many, many years ago, someone gave me a very large cassette. It was back when they were big eight-track cassette players um, of R.C. Sproul teaching on the holiness of God. And I remember as I was listening through that as a very young man, I was seated normally for the first five minutes. Then I noticed that I was uh, more rigid in my chair. And then after a while, I noticed I was sitting on the edge of my chair. And then after a while, a while I found myself on my knees and in time on my face, worshiping. And that's what I want you to see. I'm not to say that happens all the time. It doesn't. And I'm not to say that it's I'm not saying that it should. But what I'm saying is. Our study of scripture and especially the person of Christ ought to lead to worship. And most certainly to a life that is transformed and being transformed. Now let's go on to Owen. Knowledge of political theory is not the same as statesmanship. I guess we could put it this way, an armchair quarterback. Uh, you can know all kinds of things, but it doesn't mean that you move in the reality of them, that you practice them. Um, I remember there was a, a man who discipled me many years ago and what he would always ask me after I would come to him and say, you know, I've learned something new. He would say, yes. But now is it becoming a growing reality in your life? That is so important, brethren. Even in our preaching, we're not just preaching to pass along information. We're passing on truth in hopes of transformation. So let's go on. Knowledge of political theory is not the same as statesmanship, nor does a keen study of Cicero's law and Plato's Republic automatically produce good citizens. That's true, isn't it? We see that in everything. You can read so much, study so much, know so much, and apply so little. We're always in that danger. One of the things that uh, in whenever we write out, especially for non young believers, um, principles of hermeneutics on how to study the Bible, we should always include toward the end that one aspect of hermeneutics is obedience. It's application and obedience. By the same reasoning, a Christian theologian is not a man with some superficial knowledge or slight grasp of a technical scheme of theology and its scientific terminology. Again, the study of theology is more than knowledge, but it is not less than knowledge. Also, I would like to say something now um, and hear me out. Let me get to the end. Um, 
you know that I love old books. I mean, that's the purpose of looking unto Jesus. We, most of the time we end this each session by saying, and that is why we read old books. So I love old books. I love biblically correct new books. I love systematic theologies, uh, commentaries, um, all sorts of things. And they're, they're very important, very important, especially as a sounding board to make sure that we're in the very center of historical Christianity when we come to our conclusions. But let me say something. It seems quite noticeable that if you had two men with the exact same theology, good theology, but one of those men gained his theology through a painstaking study of the scriptures and the other gained his theology, the very same theology, through just reading good books, you would notice a difference between the two men. You would notice a tremendous difference of reality and power. Now, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't hold on to one and neglect the other, nor let go of one for the sake of the other. We need to read the scripture. It needs to be our primary book. It is our supreme standard. Yet at the same time, we need to read good books. We need to read other men that are tested and true. But always remember this. If you want reality in your life, you're going to have to lay aside all those books. And you're going to have to give yourself to the book. The one book inspired by God and with the power of bringing about magnificent transformation in our lives. Let's go on. If the theologian bears no mark of a true disciple of Christ, then he is no theologian, but rather remains a miserable sinner standing self condemned. Those are hard words, but they're true words. And again, you know, how many times throughout the scriptures in different ways do we hear that the one who simply knows the word and is a hearer of the word is not mature, but the one who is a doer of the word and not just with regard to obedience. Yes, there are commands and we ought to obey them, but there's something there's something else. It's not just grasping the deity of Christ but coming to the point where you marvel in the deity of Christ. It's not just like you understand the doctrine of propitiation, which is absolutely essential, but do you marvel in the cross? And preacher, listen to me. A preacher who does not marvel in the great things of God does not understand the great things of God and most certainly has not been affected by them nor can he affect anyone else with them. Goes on. Such scholars were well described long since by Philostrophus, who said, if what we teach is contradicted by our own behavior, then we are shown to have been speaking in an unnatural manner, merely making sounds like a flute player. I was raised on a ranch. We raised Charley cattle and quarter horses. We also had deer and turkey and other kinds of animals on our ranch. And as a little boy, you begin to hear the sounds 
discern the sounds. And when you walk towards a certain type of animal making a certain type of sound, you were pretty much sure what you were going to find. It would be a strange thing to go out at night watching the cattle and hearing them mooing in the midnight only to come across a turkey making that sound. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. In the same way, the man who speaks much of Christ but knows little reality of Christ or there's little uh, reality of discipleship in his life. He is speaking as, as one who's speaking unnaturally. Only disciples have the right to use the tongue of a disciple. And so you and I, and, and, and I know that I want you to know this is so true about me and I'm sure it's true about you. There's always a struggle, isn't there? We seem to know so much more than what we apply. We seem to be able to speak of so much more than what is a reality in our life. And, and that's the minister's struggle. That's my struggle. That's your struggle. But uh, we have hope, don't we? We have made progress, though not as quickly as we had hoped. And we can continue to make progress until the day that we're called home. That we cause these two things to meet in perfect harmony, our knowledge with our life, our proclamation with our life, that they be seamless. And that's what we need to be constantly striving toward. And when you look in the mirror and you see that there's contradiction there, don't fall into a repentance that is earthly and temporal and to despair. But a biblical repentance of hope. Start again. Devote yourself once again to Scripture and the following of Scripture. Know that since our salvation begins and ends with faith, that it begins and ends by grace. You and I can strive toward these goals. And when we fail, we don't despair. We just get up and go again. All right. Owen has another quote here, and both of these quotes, by the way, are from the introduction in his biblical theology. Most of you are probably familiar with his works and also with his commentaries on Hebrews, but there's a one volume of biblical theology that is excellent. It's worthy of reading through. He says, let us proclaim it boldly. The man who is not inflamed with divine love is an outsider to all theology. I hear so many young people even today saying, you know, I don't want any of that doctrine. I just want Jesus or I don't want any of that theology. I just want Jesus. And they don't realize that they're speaking nonsense. They're creating a logical fallacy and absurdity because doctrine is teaching. And to say that you you don't want doctrine, you just want Jesus. You're saying, basically, I want all the benefits of Christ, but I don't want to know what he said. I don't want to I don't want to know the commands that he gave or to say something like, you know, I don't want any of that theology. I just want God. What does that mean? Because theology is, you know, theos, God, logos, a word or discourse. Theology is a word or a discourse about God. So if a person truly wants God, they're going to want to hear discourses about him, especially those discourses in which he reveals himself and his will. Um, I know this from experience. If you're in love with a young lady, 
in love with your wife, you're going to want to hear news about her. It's the same way with regard to Christ. Now, let's go on. He says, let him toil long and hard in the arming of thorny questions. I think the Internet has proven, hasn't it? There are an abundance of these types of men. Who seem to. Um, well. What he says here, arming thorny questions, entering into disputes. Um, picking out all the bones and complaining about them and then leaving all the meat. We don't want to be like that. Yes, we want to be serious about our theology, but theology is to produce more than wrangling, than quarreling, than constantly holding everyone else suspect at the at the smallest, slightest, you know, uh, misplaced word. We don't want to be men like that. If we've truly studied doctrine, if we've truly studied Christ. There'll be something of his character in us. So he says, let him toil long and hard in the arming of thorny questions. Let him be the most avid devourer of theological books in existence. If he has this and nothing else. It is but the stronger proof that the natural beauty of God's truth has never penetrated through even the smallest chink into his mind. Now think about that. If God's truth truly is grasped by the illuminated mind, by the regenerated heart. They will marvel in the beauty of it. They will desire to see more of it and they will long to be transformed by it. He is not on fire with love of divine truth, nor carried away with admiration of her beauty. There is so much. I, I just finished a few weeks ago, um, probably three months or so, on the servant songs. And I kept saying to my brothers here at Heart Cry, you know, if I could devote my entire life to the servant songs. Someone paid me to do nothing but study them 12, 14 hours a day. After 30 years, I would not be able to exhaust the beauty of Christ that is revealed in those servant songs. If you were given just one task to expound John 316 and you were given the mind of a seraph, the voice of a Spurgeon. If you were given 85 years to do it, 10 hours a day, you would not exhaust John 316. You would not find all the beauty that lay there. And that's why we study. And that's why we preach. We've seen something. And we want God's people to see it. We've admired the beauty of God and we want other people to admire that beauty. Also, preachers, listen, there are times when we we should deal with what I guess people refer to as practical matters. I don't like that terminology because I believe everything in the Bible is practical. But if all you're doing is giving your people principles by which to live. What can I say? You're robbing them of their inheritance. 
You're stealing their food. You're starving them. You're covering their eyes so they can never marvel in the beauty of Christ. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yes, preach principles and laws and commands. But let that not be the majority of your dialogue. Let it be Christ. Let it be God, his attributes, the revelation thereof. I'll finish with what I've just a comment I made. John Owen's exhortation can be applied to all categories of theological thought. No matter what we're studying in the Bible, it should have a direct and transforming application to our lives, dear brothers. But how much more to the gospel? If even the smallest precept from the book of Leviticus has transforming power in it, how much more should the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it does. And that's why we should go hard after it. I, I refer to the gospel here using words I've collected from Puritans and, and their sons down through the years. The Everest. The gospel is the Everest of every other mountain. As a matter of fact, every other mountain is a plain compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Acropolis of all theology, that strong city, that thing that sets apart Christianity to be so unique that in Christianity is not men working their way back to God, but God saving men from Alpha to Omega, God doing a great work of salvation in order to demonstrate his glory and receive praise. It is not about men demonstrating their faithfulness and meriting salvation. Let us study with earnest longing and many prayers to know Christ. Brethren, listen to me. I have an office here, a study, and I have many old and good books. And, and they are very helpful. And I have the scriptures in different translations in their original language. And, and all of that is so important. But please do not leave prayer out of your study of scripture, of your study of the gospel. Please do not do that. Um, you and I, when we open up our eyes in the morning, the first thing we should do before we move a quarter of an inch to the right or the left is to pray. Our whole life is dependent upon grace. We breathe by grace. Uh, we are kept from falling by grace. We persevere by grace, but we also study by grace. We need grace and grace is there for the asking. I don't fully understand the economy of God between my will and his sovereignty. I believe the confessions. But I don't fully understand, but I know this. We have not because we ask not all oh, brethren. If you need knowledge, the new covenant promises knowledge. They will all know me. God says. Do you need power? New covenant promises power. His spirit that he has given us his good spirit. So in all our studying, do not lay aside prayer. 
Finally, let us measure our knowledge of the gospel by the transformation it has wrought in our lives. I wish I knew more. But I wish that what I do know was a greater reality in my life and that I had made much more progress in being transformed by it. Well, this is a good word on the sanctifying power of the gospel from, I think, probably one of all our favorite theologians, John Owen. And um, I hope that it will help you spend more time in your study, realizing that what your people need is you having a greater reality of the things you proclaim to them. All right, well, we've gone on quite long on this one, but uh, I'll finish up by saying this. This is why we read old books. God bless you.